Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to this episode of 20 Minute Tims as the Celtic story is now ongoing in the SEC Armadillo. I'm delighted to be joined by some of the cast, crew and writers of it. So first up we'll go with Martin McCormick. Martin McCormick, welcome to the podcast. What is your role in the Celtic story? Yep, my name is Martin McCormick and I am the adapter, writer and director of this, this version of the Celtic story. Lovely stuff. We also have Kathleen McDermott. Kathleen, what is your role? I am one of the stars of the Celtic story, playing various characters throughout the show. That's Very good. Role. And we also we also have Ken McCluskey. Ken, what's your role? Um, I've got the very nice title of musical director, and I'm working with the band and arranging the songs, and we wrote a song especially for the play as well, so... Um, We've been doing all those things and it's been really, really enjoyable. Lovely stuff. So now I'm going to try and get your Celtic credentials off. You see if you're in this for love or money. Martin, are you a Celtic fan? Uh, I'm about as dyed in the wheel as it comes. My days are an absolute disgrace and a nightmare when they lose and when they win, I'm everybody's best pal. Lovely stuff. Kathleen, what about you? Yes, I'm a Celtic fan from day one. Um, I have family that have actually played for Celtic, so yes, I've been brought up with it. I have two granders, great granders that played for Celtic on both sides of my family, from my mum and dad, so it means a lot to them to have me in the Celtic story and to be able to watch me up on the big stage. It means a lot to me to do that for them. Oh, that's brilliant, that is tremendous. And uh, Ken, what about you? Right, Lifelong I'm, Celtic fan? I'm going to have to update my credentials here, right? Um, <laughs> yes, long like, Celtic fan, I'm from Lanarkshire. I went to school with people like George McCluskey, Paul McStay, Willie McStay, wow. etc. Um, my mum's cousins, two mum's cousins are married to Davy Hay and Jimmy Johnson, respectively. So that's my credentials. 
Oh. You better show an off for your best <laughs> friend. Yeah. That's fine, that's fine. Yeah. I know. I'm just raging that I went first there. Well, we started. <laughs> she started. She started it. I know. Yeah, I could have been hitting it when I went to school, I went to school with Josh McKinley. You know that kind of well, thing. Right, you, know what I mean? you missed it. You missed out there, man. You, know. you need to get these things in early so what I'll do is I'll go around you again as we're going to be talking about the Celtic story what's each of your Celtic story what's your first memory of Celtic and what's your first sort of season you remember watching Celtic uh, I'll go first so my first memory of Celtic or my first memory of being taken to a Celtic game was a reserve match Mick McCarthy had just come back because he'd broken his leg and a guy called Crawford Bapti um, who won't be a name that's synonymous with anyone other than the fact two surnames, but I think we can guess. Yeah, I think two surnames, and they're and, and, and when you reverse them, they could still mean the same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, he uh, he went right through the back of Mick McCarthy, and Mick McCarthy just pulled him up, like grabbed him up to standing height, and just punched him, and then just walked <laughs> off the field and knocked him out, and uh, just like ran away as the referee tried to chase after Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy was obviously telling um, in a his own inevitable way to where to go exactly and I just remember <laughs> that so so clearly uh, and just going that this is what it's going to be like this is magic um, that's that's my first my first memory of a game and the first memory of just sheer joy and um, all that kind of thing was in about 1987 in Salou uh, in fact maybe it have been 87 in Salou uh, Celtic winning the Scottish Cup and my family being told over the phone that we'd won it, and we were all gathered around the phone <laughs> on, on holiday because we couldn't find it anywhere. And there was there was a load of us on a, on a holiday because my granddad just retired and got his, his pension he'd paid for us all to go to school. And uh, we, we phoned another family member and they told us, and I remember it was just, oh, it was, oh, yeah, it was just going bananas that we'd won it. And then other people found it out through us that we'd won it, and then just all these, like, bring, all these Celtic supporters that night bringing salute to a standstill. Lovely yeah. stuff. What about you, Kathleen? I remember when I was about seven or eight, my dad took me and my sister to a football game and it was a trophy day that day. And I remember we were playing Aston Villa, I think it was, and I had a green jacket, a green pencil skirt, <laughs> and the inside of my jacket, the lining was green and white stripes. And my dad bought us green bonnets, <laughs> green white and gold bonnets. So it was like going on to here and I'm standing right at the front and I remember standing shouting, I waited till it was really, really quiet, and I shouted, "Come on, tell me, Barnes!" And he scored. <laughs> and then this guy that was like two rows behind us, like tapped us on his shoulder. He's like, "Say that again, Hen. Shout it again. You might score another one." I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was one of the best memories I've ever experienced because it was the jungle back then. So it's like you started off in one area and ended up in a different area because you were just jumping all over the place. <laughs> brilliant experience I'll never forget it lovely stuff what about yourself Ken? my first memory of knowing what Celtic was and the whole deal was I was I'm a bit older than uh, Martin Catholic so or a good bit so I remember <laughs> celebrations in my house for the the European Cup final and the guy next Ooh. door the, the woman next door's boyfriend had went to Lisbon so I was it was a really sunny day and I was sitting in the step and we didn't have Front gardens, or anything, just like a bit of grass. So, I, and I remember a man sort of stoting about, and he was taking ages to get down the road. He had a huge, big stock of rock, green, white, and gold rock. And he got to the door, and he <laughs> pressed the, the pressed the buzzer in the door, and there was nobody in. He collapsed, 
And I went over to see him with a Celtic hat on and a, a knitted, hand-knitted scarf and all that. And that was the day after Lisbon. But my first game, first game that I really mm-hmm. remember, 1971, it was 6-1, 6-1 against Clyde. And it was the last time the Lisbon Lions ever went on the field together. So oh. they, they all lined up. Uh, Ronnie Simpson came on for about five minutes or whatever because he was quite old by this point. It would be 1971, maybe 72, but I think it was 71. 6-1, Betty Old sat in the ball. And my dad knew a bricky because they were building the new stand, which is the old stand now. So it hadn't been built yet. So the players came out a wee tunnel at the side and we were just on a building site because my dad was a bricklayer. And he knew a guy called Jimbo Holland who was actually building the stand so he could get free tickets. And we just sat and we stood in the building site watching the game. Six one. Brilliant. You've all passed. You've all given me your credentials. So that's all good. All good. (laughs) Continue on. So the Celtic story is back after a wee break. Uh, Martin, what... What made it come back? What was the thinking behind it all? Uh, the thing about it come back was um, the 88 version ends in 88 and the plans had been in place for a while now um, to effectively update it because obviously just so much has happened since then. So um, the producers of this, this production had gone to great lengths. Um, also one of the producers of this David Lowe uh, was reasonably instrumental. Maybe I'm being a bit um, under, a bit of an understatement, but it was extremely influential in the Fergus McCann takeover. Uh, so I think that was something that we felt had to be um, kind of front and centre of it. The, certainly, mm-hmm. the, the second act, the first, so the first act of the show is the first hundred years, and the second act is what's happened since. So how did how did you get involved then? What was the process? Um, so originally, uh, originally, myself and someone called Martin McCarty, who's actually been in one of the versions of this, the nineteen ninety eight remount of the Celtic story. He, 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 Martin worked and trained an actor for many years, like myself, and then, um, then he uh, went into writing and directing. So um, I, last year, I wrote and directed a play for Perth Theatre called Owen the Saints, which was about the the day that. St Johnston won the first Scottish Cup um, and uh, I'm probably not doing St Johnston that much of a disservice by saying it's one of the few interesting things that's happened to him apart from the bus, obviously uh, but you know so um, but it was very much like a community orientated show like we involved community cast members and did a lot of kind of research and I had to do a lot of research on I had to do a lot of research on it because it's effectively it's my local football team but I knew nothing about them and as far as I was concerned, there wasn't particularly anything interesting about them. But there's a lot of really interesting human stories connected with the club. So it was more like that. But with Celtic, it's like, so with that thing with St. Johnston, it's like, what can we find to put in? Because we, we need to find lots of material. It's the opposite with Celtic. You're like, what, you know, people are coming up to me and going, you didn't mention <laughs> Jimmy Delaney. Yeah. Or yeah. you didn't mention Johnny Doyle. Or John Doyle. Or you didn't mention, you know, like, the day the ten men won the league, you know, you didn't mention, you know, ex- I mean, I could literally go on all day about the vast amount of stuff. So, um, but the other thing about this was very much the position. So it was from a Celtic fan's point of view. Wildcat, who did this originally, did this. I mean, it was just this enormous thing. I remember the production at the time and not being old enough to go to it. But I just remember it being this like milestone in theatre because nobody had ever made a play about football. Um, so the kind of the, the, the thing that was kind of front and centre of this one was to update it so that it 
reflected the fact I fans experience so they could when it came to the musical numbers that they could really uh, join in so that's something that we've done and in fact you know Ken myself and Kieran uh, McEnany who's uh, in the band and also wrote a new song for this production as well so um so, so yeah that's that's been it Martin McCarty who was involved in this got me uh, involved as a result of writing this St Johnston play and he didn't need to Martin he didn't need to ask me my credentials because he he's been a Celtic game with me before, so you knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. So, Ken, how did you get involved in? How did you take a break from your rock and roll lifestyle to get um, involved with this? Well, well, well my lifestyle, <laughs> not that too rock and roll. Last couple of years, um, I, I, I've been a teacher for about 20, 20 years, so I, I got a real job when I was 39. Um, when I started having kids with my, my missus. Um, so I had to go and get a real job, and I, so I went to uni and got a degree, and I started teaching. I worked at a college uh, called Stowe College, which then changed to the Glasgow Kelvin College. And I taught music business management. It's like business studies, but to do with copyright and right, you know, royalties and all that and contracts. So I did that for twenty years, and then I just retired about three months ago. So I was approached by some of the team, and they said, "Oh, would you be interested in this?" I went, "Well, that would be perfect. I finish work." in June, end of June, go to Portugal for a couple of weeks, then I start work on this. Perfect. So it, it's it's so different from teaching and it's so different from being in a band. It's, I'm, I'm really of the opinion, I really follow the doctrine of lifelong learning. You, you learn new stuff's brilliant. And working in different environments is excellent. And seeing different people doing their craft is just, you know, it's amazing, especially watching the actors and directors and, you know, all the other stuff, the, the, the dressers, the people like doing all the costumes and the choreographers and all that, it's, it's really eye-opening, you know. What about the song Celtic Did It First? I don't need to ask what that's about, but how did that come about? Uh, Martin, had the, Martin had the idea for the title and we just had a jam around it. Basically, we just uh, I just listed loads of stuff and Kieran listed loads of stuff and we kind of put them together and, and just came up quite naturally. And, and a good idea for a riff. I kind of riff and it was something. I had this idea of call and response. So we just, and then the, the audience sing, Delta did it first or whatever. So I would put our heads together and, and just came up with it. So it was it was good. It was done very organically. Now, it, it was an amazing thing for me, like Ken saying, sorry if I'm interrupting, but it was an amazing yeah. thing for no, Ken saying, like the theatre of the experience of seeing how a theatre production is put together as an eye opener. It was yeah. a total eye opener for me how, how I song can be put together because I'd never done anything like that yeah. in my life but I think one of the things that's made this job a lot easier is um, uh, a combination of sort of serendipity and it being a conscious choice like a lot of people that are involved in this are Celtic minded people as well they do have credentials so it's meant that a lot the alchemy of all that's kind of meant that it's come together yeah. Yeah. in a kind of surprisingly not easy way but you know much much more simplistic and um, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just a, a much more simple way than, than perhaps would have yeah. been. Because I'd never written a song before, and we just sat. Well, I think you were in your living room, came out. It was that this, this very living room, that, that very piano, that very piano, that piano. So uh, it was about two hours or something, like, and that was it done. I was like, right. Fuck, yeah. I'd just like to write a, a song. That's easy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we took it away and fine tuned that wee bit, but, but most of it was done then. Yeah. 
Ah, that's class how it all comes about. But Martin, I thought when you said what uh, what makes this thing easiest is going to be the stars of the show. So Kathleen, how did you get involved <laughs> and what what have you done in your previous life before getting involved with this? Well, that's the thing. I've not actually done a lot of theatre at all. I think the closest thing I've done to theatre was a play of Pine a Pint at Orin Moore before doing this show. So it, is quite, it has been quite daunting for me. Um, because it's just a whole new experience. I'm so used to just being in front of a camera for TV and film, but theatre is a whole new experience. So there was a lot of times, even in rehearsals, where I was um, feeling a little bit like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this, but now, and I'm in it, and I'm doing it, I know I can do it, and I'm absolutely loving every minute of it. But doing... Before getting the, the, the role, I remember looking at it because I had just came back from Portugal and I was only back about two weeks and I got the email to say, would I be interested in doing this? And I phoned my agent straight after reading the email and I was like, do you really need to ask me if I really would be interested in doing this? Of course I will. So I made the mistake of actually telling my parents that I was going for the audition which I wish I hadn't because it was extra pressure <laughs> on you better get this type thing. But I went in and I did my thing and I waited a full week before they even told us if they'd got it or not, which was absolutely <laughs> so destroying waiting on it. And every, my, every day my mum and dad kept phoning going, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> And then we went, we're going for dinner that night, well, the Friday, and they phoned us on the Thursday and told us, and I waited to tell them, and they went over the moon. My dad was just, my mum says he got up the next day after telling them, and he was like, can't believe my daughter's in the Celtic story, I just can't yeah. believe it. <laughs> so out of everything That's that cool. I've done in my career, this has to be at the top of the list for my family. How long were rehearsals? Yeah, and it was quite short in rehearsals, wasn't it? It was only about, in total, from rehearsing to opening day, it's only been three weeks, wasn't it? Three weeks in the rehearsal room, and then um, we did about four, four days, days of tech. Uh, tech, and then opened the Thursday. It's, it was an extremely short rehearsal process, but I think it's that kind of thing I was saying earlier on, because everyone's association with the club, and some people's association, in fact, one of the cast in it, David McKay, was in the original, um, yeah. Because everyone's associated with the, yeah. with, with the the club and the Celtic story as well, like think that there's there's two separate entities. Like you know, yeah. everyone just really really pulled together. But you're right, like a show of this enormity because it's an enormous show with so many component parts. Ordinarily, you'd be looking at four or five weeks rehearsal, but we managed to really yeah. everyone really managed to pull together. From a musical yeah, point, yeah. Of, from a musical point of view, I'm, I'm digging what uh, Martin's saying. That's a happy word, digging. But because uh, <laughs> I'm old, right? But um, musically, I was thinking like so. We had a, a little band of us working together, and then one of the the players, one of the fiddle players, couldn't make it, so we had to quickly get another fiddle player in. Um, and so I put a wee shout out. I know quite a few different fiddle players, and I, I was thinking, and a lot of them didn't know, they wouldn't know Hail Hail the Celts are here, they wouldn't know over and over, they wouldn't know blah blah, you know, the, the traditional Celtic songs. And I was like, that's a bit of a nightmare actually teaching somebody that from scratch. Whereas I went to St Rock's 
school. You know, the school, they've got the cultist musicians and traditional Irish musicians based on traditional uh, Irish folk music. And there's a guy called Frank McArdle, and I, I phoned him up and I said, Frank, I know him from before, working with John McCusker and all these great young traditional people who had been there, taught there. It's a free after-school class. I said, Frank, if I'm looking for a, a fiddle player. And maybe somebody that would be like Celtic a wee bit. And he went, I've got the perfect boy for you. He can play keep you up and play the fiddle at the same time. And I went, bang, ah. you're the man. And then the other one, Kieran McInerney, I, when I was a teacher we, we'd uh, at the college, we had a label called Electric Honey, which I ran with the students. And Kieran's band were signed to the label. So I knew he was a good musician. He was versatile. So he, he's a multi-instrumentalist, for example, and he's a good understanding of music. So he was number one. And then we got Daniel in, and Daniel's been fantastic. And you don't have to start from scratch. You know what I mean? You don't have to start from, because the Celtic supporters, you know. Yeah, that's good. It seems to have all come together very quickly. Three weeks of rehearsals, and then bang, 31st mm-hmm. August, the opening night. What was that like for you all, Kathleen? You first off, that being on stage, it must have been terrifying. Oh, I know wow. the guys backstage work hard, but you've got the tough job being out in front of the crowd. Oh, Absolutely terrifying, Disney cut it. <laughs> I was a nervous wreck because we did a dress run that morning and I was like a deer in the headlights. I just was <laughs> all over the place and it started to give me the fear. So I thought, oh my God, it's opening night and night and I just had a total disaster of a dress run. And then I didn't make any mistakes in the opening night, so I was quite chuffed with myself. I went home that night and I was like, I just did that. Can't believe I actually pulled it off compared to what I'd actually put done in the in the morning. <laughs> so, but people said that to me. I mean, the cast have been very, very taken aback after the dress run and they were like no they say that if you have a really bad dress run you're going to have a really good night and that's how it panned out for me on the opening night so I was quite happy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And you had a big special guest there to see the first night as well, didn't we? Yeah. Fergus totally. And yeah, no Fergus, but yeah, my husband and my kids, they're my biggest critics. They were there <laughs> that night as well. So and apparently my son was shouting out, Hi mum and I didn't even <laughs> hear him. So But hey ho, he was shouting at me afterwards saying, How come you never waved back to me? You never shouted to me. I was like, working. <laughs> Fair enough. So Fergus McCann's there on the first night. He's a special guest. What about you, Martin and Ken? How did you feel with a guy of that stature? When you tell the Celtic story, that's obviously going to be a big part of it. And for that guy to be theirs must be something special. Yeah, I mean, I'd known for about a month in advance that he was coming over. And one of the actors in the cast plays Fergus McCann in it for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when they, when I saw his costume, this like in rehearsals we, were, we did a lot of costume fittings, and you're as a director you're in, in that process just to kind of give you give your uh, your overview or your opinion on things. And I remember seeing the Fergus costume, and it was like a kind of just a very plain suit, a bow tie, and a cap. And I thought, oh, I can't really think Fergus can ever wore that combination. And then on the press night, when I bumped into Fergus McCann, what do you think he's wearing? The actual man himself. I just thought Actually. the actor Billy Mack had, had strolled off stage yeah. in costume and he would carry a glass of wine about in the Radisson Red at half dead at night. I was yeah. like, no, it's actually Fergus McCann. Um, and he, he, apparently he really enjoyed it. I mean, there was we took a bit of artistic license. Um, I don't want to spoil the show for anyone that's seen it, but I don't think Fergus McCann ever did a solo song at any point in his <laughs> career. <laughs> but uh, the, um, yeah, it was it was it was very flattering that he took his he took the time to come over and see us because he doesn't even live in this continent anymore, you know. I, I, when I saw Fergie, when when, when I saw, sorry, when I saw sorry. Billy Mack with his with his suit on on the side the side of the stage, mm. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant because he's got the mannerisms and he's got the voice and he's. He's really good at it, mm -hmm. you know. It, but it, it was just perfect. I just thought his wee hat and all that was just perfect. And the, the, the audience really react to it a lot because it's quite a big oh. monologue. The audience really react yeah. to Fergus. Because remember Fergus, remember the, when he was hoisting the league flag at Parkhead? There's people booing him, man, and that was a disgrace. You know, an absolute disgrace. So it's, it's payback time, you know, I mean, to a certain extent as well. well like, the guy turned over to me, you know. When you watch the clips, of the video, Fergus looks as if he was loving it. You see him yeah. smiling and laughing at all his eclipse, and you're just like, he must have been. How how mad would it be to be sitting in an audience and watching somebody portray him? And yeah. I remember talking to somebody at the after party, and they said that they were sitting behind him, and they said while he was watching the show, he was like saying, oh, why, that's how it happened. It really did happen like that. Or it wasn't quite like that, but it did happen like that. I mean, that must be such a weird experience, watching yourself in scenarios that you've actually been in and somebody else portraying it, and then mm -hmm. saying, that is how it was done. That is exactly how it went down. I think also as well as character, because he's not like, you know, some sort of big tycoon or something like that, you know, flown in. He's just like a, a normal man. He looks like a... 
a man of his age, you know, he, and uh, yeah. he's maybe flamboyancy as he's starting bow tie or his wee heart or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's quite a character. He, get, he got a cheer. He got a cheer on the night when he came in. Oh, yeah. Everybody cheered him when he was sitting yeah. down. So, and there, yeah, was Tom, there was Tom. There was Tom Boyd and, and Murdo McLeod and a good few players. as was Tosh McKinley and a few others. Neil Lennon. Neil Lennon. Yeah. So it was a good, good bunch of people. And I think fans like that to see that as well. You know, they're a bit next to their heroes, sort of thing. If you're going to do the Celtic story twenty years ago, and you were going to include the section of Fergus that we have in the show, I mean, he's on stage for about fifteen minutes, just on his own, basically, um, holding court. You couldn't have done that um, in the sound beliefs that the uh, the audience would have when they booed him because there was all this, there were all these fables all over Glasgow. You get into a taxi and there was all these lies about Fergus about how he didn't tip, and you know <laughs> it was really really rude and all this kind yeah. of thing. And it was just a load of rubbish. Yeah. And then I was saying about the the Daily Record. Um, so I saw this thing. It was actually on Twitter today. The Daily Record. I think it was Daily Record of the Sun had a newspaper headline and it said. Um, there was a picture of Saddam Hussein and Fergus McCann said, one of these men is a despotic, tyrannic um, madman. The other one is Fer- the other one is Saddam Hussein. <laughs> it's just like, the guy never stood it. They never stood a chance because people's heads were filled with all these lies or these, these inaccuracies. When in actual fact, it's because he was undermining Murray because he was the, the powers that be in the media knew that he was doing things properly from a business sense. And he was also railroading the SFA. Yeah, yeah. And we even met bring up in the show about that all that stuff with the George Cadet transfer, about how abhorrent and oh. disgusting and how that kind of McCann just exposed this underbelly of Scottish establishment, which we I think as Celtic fans were aware existed, but he he's he kind he of was like a dog made it clear his teeth. And and is that, that and again, it's that thing now, you're just like, where is that side to, to the club sometimes? Because you want them just to be like going after all that, you know, going after them mm-hmm. um, and not being so passive. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people now see that history teaches about McCann as you go, yes, you you actually were a proper Celtic man. Yeah, I think it's that time's been very kind to Fergus McCann and rightly so, it's shown that he is a Celtic legend there's always talk about renaming the stadium after him but there's so much Celtic history steeped in this that I don't know how you managed to get it all in uh, Kathleen, how, how is it for you on stage going through Celtic as a history and doing things that happened before your time and then when you get into the time when you were a fan and moving through that how does that work out for you? There's a lot in the script when we were rehearsing it that Martin actually had to explain to quite to a lot of us that, that they didn't understand it. And once he explained it explained it to us, then it gave us a much more in-depth insight on how to actually portray it on stage. Because a lot like you said, a lot of it happened before I was even born and I, I, it didn't make sense to me. Martin, you have had to explain a lot of things like that. You're like, that, what does that mean? We don't know what that means. Obviously, <laughs> a few times, wasn't it, during rehearsals? I know. Sorry, Kathleen, it was mostly to you. <laughs> I won't <joke>. <laughs> <laughs> It was only you. Everyone else was doing No, I mean, so um, I was lucky enough to meet a man called Jerry Finn. He's a professor. He's actually a specialist. On, um, he's an academic specialist on the history of sectarianism in Scotland. Really fascinating guy. 
and he was the man that did a lot of the research for the original Wildcat production of this. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of the really good stuff from that original production um, was stuff that kind of remained. So you know the fact that you know just just the stuff that's that's a bit kind of um, geeky about Celtic. You know the fact that they never started wearing the hoops till 1903. The fact that you know the the board members were the, this very specific group of men who had were different political beliefs and different agendas. Just all this kind of stuff that you go actually that's you know if the you know it sounds cliched but if you know your history. I mean there's loads of people that include myself before I read that wildcat version. I said, I didn't really know my history. I mean, okay, it's stuff that you, it doesn't really deepen your like your passion for the club or anything like that, but it's fascinating to know that it's where we all came from mm-hmm. as fans, you know. Ken, the biggest thing probably in the Celtic story is Celtic winning the European Cup. You've done the song for it. Don't want to give any away too many spoilers about the show, but how proud were you getting the song in there and seeing the bit where Celtic... 1967, the European Cup, Jockstein, it's the pinnacle of Celtic, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, it's just, it's, just, it's a great subject to write about, you know, and, and all the things that we did do first. And when we get the, we so we build up to that crescendo of the European Cup and then continue up to modern times with quadruple trebles and victories to the rebels and all these little links as well. Um, no, it's great. It's, it's just great to be, to map all the things that, and also remember, also remember certain things, you know, like because you you go through your mind when we're thinking of writing the song, you go through your mind. What was your favourite game? What was what was what happened? What, what happened that year? What happened this year? What happened this year? So you go through your your memories, and again, I'm older. I'm double the age of the other two musicians in, in the band, so they're fantastic at the modern stuff. And my, I think I'm better at long term long term memory. I think when you get older, your short term memories a wee bit roping but your long-term memory is uh, there and it's kind of written in stone to a certain extent as well because there's been so many books written about there's been videos made he's out there you know so you can you can research a lot of the stuff just to make sure you're telling the truth remember i was telling you the story about the first game i went to uh versus clyde versus clyde uh the first game that i remember going to and it was it was a building site basically apart from the other three parts right across the jungle I thought it was eight one. I was I was eight one, and I spoke to Joe Sullivan, who works Joe Sullivan, who works at the, the Celtic View, and Joe says it wasn't. It was six one. I was like, no, it was eight one. Like, no, <laughs> and then he showed me. He showed me because they've got all the microfilm and all that. He's like, look, and he says, you're right about the team. You're right. He says, but Ronnie Simpson actually never played. He just came on and went like that. He was stripped. He was stripped. He went like that. It was Evan Williams actually was in goals. I'm like. Dull. That's two eggs. So, <laughs> two dolls. So it was six one, eight one, and it was everybody's. Roddy Simpson did come on a wave, and he had the strip one. You know. So all the lesbian lines were on the pitch. They were all on the pitch. Right they were all on the pitch. Yeah, I was only nine, man. You know, only nine. <laughs> I see a lesbian line every day. Jim Craig lives near me, and I always see him. And I'm too terrified to say hello. Uh, you should. I'm a bit starstruck. I've met. I know. I know. I maybe should ingratiate myself one day, but he, he's uh, he's a, he's lived up this neck of the woods for me. I met him before. He's a lovely guy. So he's still nice guy, uh, yeah. lovely, knowledgeable on Celtic as well. I He'll have to, you chatting for a while. I used to cut Tommy Gemmell's hair, and the oh, barbers he used to come in. <laughs> he used to come in. My barbers and he would get. He would give us a thirteen pound tip, and oh. it was so funny because you would 
when he came in the door, everybody's cutting the hair, but you could see everybody starting to speed up so that they could get him because <laughs> he was the biggest tipper. That's a good one. So we had... We have 1967 as a pinnacle of Celtic. We've had a lot of success recently, but on Sunday there, Celtic beat Rangers 1-0 in the latest Glasgow derby. A wee bit unexpected from my point of view. I thought we'd struggle in the game. You guys were getting ready for shows. You were about to go on stage. How was that in the lead up to the game? And how much of the game did you get to see? Uh, for, for us, for the musicians, we had to do it. We had to do a sound check, so we had to be there at well, we were trying to make the sound check earlier so we could watch the whole game, but it wasn't working. <laughs> was work. So we we for we as I said that this morning you have to be right there, but we did the sound check really quickly yeah. and we caught the most of the first half and we caught half an hour of the second half. Uh, but it was brilliant. That that goal was outstanding. We we would jumped into the Crown Plaza Hotel, which is right next to the the hydro and there's nobody in the place at all so they had the other guys the two sound guys and the other two guys in the band Kieran and Daniel had a wee table and there was nobody else in the place at all and they'd said like we better be quiet because it's quite posh in here and blah 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 but I wasn't there for that little signal so Kyogo nearly scored just before the goal and I went ah! <laughs> and I'm like Shh. <laughs> <laughs> so I was told to shut up <laughs> what about you Kathleen what was it like going on stage just after because you must have just heard the news or seen the end of the game and thought we were, we're going uh, on stage the, yeah. the crowd will be loving this we were standing in the wings at the side of the stage because we usually go on five minutes before the actual show starts so we're all kind of sitting about on the stage and you can see everybody out in the audience but when we were standing watching we had it like the Charlie had it on his laptop and everybody had the game on. And then my mum and dad said, when I said to you that we heard the, the audience cheering, we were a minute and a half delayed before on our screens when we were watching it. And my mum said that it was just one person that stood up in the audience and went, yes! Like that, so I don't know. <laughs> So then everybody cheered, and I don't know if he obviously had got a text from somebody from the game that said that's it, it's the final scores 1-0, because everybody else was still running a minute and a half later. So we didn't get the final score, and everybody was saying, I'm not taking that until we get it final on our screens, that that yeah. was the final <laughs> score. And then we all walked on going, 1-0, 1-0, and everybody was cheering. <laughs> so good. But it just well, made somebody- it extra special. Some of the actors were doing that, the Kyogo. Me, you know, I the did that, that's my, <laughs> did that is what I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do I do that in the show. And we agreed oh, right, that right. because Kyogo right. scored the, that one goal, everybody would do that going down at that point. Yeah. And that's what every one of us did it that night. Brilliant. <laughs> Too funny. Brilliant. That's brilliant, man. I was, I was speaking to one of my pals. I've not managed to get along yet, but... He was there last week and he said it was great. He obviously said everything was great. Kathleen, he said you were good, but he did uh, highlight, uh, there's so many Martins here, but Martin Quinn, he said he was brilliant in it. How is it working alongside that guy? Well, he's amazing. Absolutely brilliant at what he does. Um, You can can tell that he's got abundance of talent. 
like just watching him, he just captivates you. You just have to stop and watch what he does, and it makes it look so easy. It's amazing. He also, when like, he does Patsy yep. Gallica, it's fantastic. He also has a humor's good. He's got a good sense of humor. Yeah, he's got a great and, sense uh, of humor. He's always. Wouldn't tell you any of the wee, but there's just wee, just wee couple of wee <laughs> bits, just a wee tiny. They're not even lines; they're just wee bits. And the, I pish myself every time I see it on stage because we're in the back <laughs> watching it. But it's the same wee bit, and it's they're just daft, but they're dead funny. So you're like, oh, I, I can't, I can't wait for it to happen again. I would go into details because I'll, I'll give the show away. But um, there's a couple of cracking bits. Yeah. Laugh my head off. Yeah, we don't want to give any of the stuff away. I'm looking forward to going to seeing it. But Martin, if you're trying to sell this to somebody, it's the Celtic story. It talks for itself. But tell us, give us what we're going to see if we go along. First and foremost, a celebration of the club, of the history, of the fans, of everything that the club stands for in terms of um, the ethos, the ideology that Walford set out, how we as the fans and Hopefully the board and the club still remember and tell us of the charitable roots of the club. But also, we, you know, we, we, it's a celebration of everything that the fans know. You can't emulate, you can't try and replicate the experience of a game on stage. It's impossible. But what we can, what we can try and do is transport you through to times where experiences happen from the fans' perspective. And also what we're able to do with this because it's theatre is make it theatrical and bring people and voices for the past on, into the present and speak to us, you know, in the present. Um, and I know I'm biased and it's hard for me to be objective about it, but there's so many points in this piece. And to be honest with you, the majority of the bits that I haven't written, it's the creation of the band and it's the creation of the Marvel and the cast that they're coming up with so many pieces that are so emotional and it's that kind of thing where you know we were saying right at the start what was your first game what's your first memories you get taken by your dad you get taken by your mum you get taken by your uncle whatever um and that bond that nurture that mentorship whatever you want to call it is the thing that makes you a fan and make keeps you a fan because you want to keep that legacy going and I think there's something in this, in this all that just gets us about Celtic. You know, there's that, there's the Matt McGlone book, the emotionally Celtic. There's just, it's a, it's, I've been honestly like a hair trigger away from bursting into tears at some points in this show because it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just the, the, the club is an emotional club. Yeah. Um, uh, everything that the club stands for is an emotional club. But apart from that, people will have a right good night out <laughs> as well. Well, I've had, I've had people come up to me after the show and say, like grown men and coming up to me and saying, Hen, I don't uh, cry anything. He went, but ah, you just had me shedding tears in there. Just at point moments where it has brought back memories for people and triggered and pulls the heartstrings. I've been crying on stage more than once. And yeah. even my mum said that to me. They came and saw it on Sunday afternoon, just after the match. They came that day and even my mum said to me, I could see when Walk On was on, I could see that you were crying. And my chin was like going that way, like I'm trying to stop myself <laughs> from crying. That is exactly what I was like during Walk On that day because it just was yeah. so emotional. When you look out to the audience and see every single person got their scarf up or their torch in their hand, and you can see them singing it from the heart. That is like 
an amazing experience to be a part of. It does make you feel like you are part of a big family and everybody's there to support each other. It's fantastic. Such an amazing feeling. Well, I've got a great idea. I was thinking, me and Karen were thinking, and Daniel, the musicians, we were thinking it would be a really good idea for us to, to uh, get flown to Madrid to play at halftime at Atletico Madrid. <laughs> play walk on, you know what I mean? That'd be a good, be a good marketing, you know what I mean? Uh, there's definitely the budget for that. Blow all the budget on that. Uh, That's uh, great. Uh, Martin, that was like a, a Martin O'Neill speech you gave, a team talk from Martin O'Neill there you gave <laughs> us. I'm railed up now. And, and I know what you guys mean, like Celtics, Celtics, my thing. It was my dad that took me along. Yeah. It's just the thing that I felt attached to from a young age it's that first love and it just grows throughout goes throughout you my dad's no longer here so anytime yeah. Celtic get a good result he's the first person I think about so it's that family that bond you have with Celtic and there is times where we'll never walk alone's playing or Celtic get a result and the, I'll get the goosebumps and all that it just gets me and I just love when players come and you just feel like they get it like you and it just Celtic there's something yeah. about Celtic like Billy McNeil said there is a fairy tale about this club it's magical and it's tremendous that you have managed to bottle this up into a story that people can go and see it's, it's tremendous what you have done uh, and just for the record I think Martin Quinn's a hopeless actor <laughs> <laughs> I know that they were doing Ella Run that he's great he's, he's the pits man <laughs> we'll let people judge that when they go and see it so everyone said he's pure brilliant I'm, I'm, uh, and I employed him you should be taking credit for employing him now and That's picking it. him out as the talent. I don't credit for it. He's the first yeah. Scottish Scotty in Star Trek. Honestly, like, we're so lucky with the cast we got for this. But I went like to Martin. I was like, so good you were available for this. And he went, it's because of the writer's strike in LA. <laughs> <laughs> So there's still plenty of time for people to get along. We've got until the 16th of September. You do, is it two shows a day? Two shows a day. Uh, two shows on a Saturday and two shows on a Sunday. Ideal. So plenty of time for people to get along. There's also family discounts if people are taking along the family. And look, Celtic are a family thing, so get yourselves along. Thanks very much for joining me, guys. You guys will never walk alone and if you want to know your history get along and see the Celtic story Thanks for listening Small details are big surfaces Tight corners are odd shapes Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. 
So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.